Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today I've got two guests with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'm Becca. Uh, hello, I'm Ben. And we're Payotten. That sounds awful. But yeah, Payotten. Payotten. Now, let's just start right there. Where does that name come from? Okay, so when I was... We were trying to think of a, a, a brand name, and this was in 2016. And uh, we came... In fact, we came up with a completely different name, and... We had like got the the website. We'd um, ordered the labels. We'd done everything, and both of us weren't sure about it. He'd given me a one of those genealogy test things, and I came out at three percent British, and the rest was Northern European. Going to jump in there, and it was Brexit time. So we were trying to slightly stubbornly be broadly Northern European. That was our stance. Um, we were having difficulty finding a name because getting the website name and getting all the details and then, ah, the domain's already been sold. Um, you can't, it was a nightmare. So we had to invent a name. Well, we didn't invent a name, actually, because well. what happened was um, when I was a student, my favourite designer was Martin Margella who's um, Belgian, and he had a business partner, and she died. And so Days and Confused was doing a article, an article on her, talking about her life, and she lived in Payottenland. And so we just nicked the beginning of that. So it was like a pull to Europe, a pull to favourite designer, and it just looks really nice on a label. So um, that's it. And you get a wide range of uh, different pronunciations. Uh, the English <coughs> can't help but call it the Jutton. Uh, Dutch people, have uh, they sound fantastic when they say it. Um, it moves with the European tongues. Yeah. yeah. I'd have said Payot. There, there you go. That might be right, yeah. but we don't know. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I was going, I was going, like going, um, a Pajotan for ages and then a student of mine who is European this is when I was working teaching and um, she said it's Payotan I went oh okay <laughs> thank you for telling me what my brand is called but um yeah so now that we've worked out <laughs> what the brand is called which is a separate topic in itself really um what is it you do uh it is men's and women's wear um sustainable horrible world word um, uh, chore wear so it's work wear referencing um, so it's just easy to wear clothes and we produce it made to order um, from a studio in Kent and we design, make promote everything in house um, so it's all things like we use dead stock cloth, um, organic recycled uh, all of these things, hemp, tensile. Um. We stayed. We, we started with um, <coughs> uh, chore wear uh, because mainly because that's what I've always worn. Uh, I've always been fairly manual uh, in my jobs over the years, and I've I, I spent twenty years in nothing but Carhartt overalls, and um, because they work, and uh, uh, elderly French chore wear. Um, was always a good find uh, and Becca being Becca made me a jacket about 10 years ago um, 
which was the starting point really uh, yeah. it was a good it was a good area for us to to move into it's uh, it's right for our skill set there's two of us doing everything um we can find the cloth uh we can handle the manufacture um and there's a there's a lot of it there's a lot of old chore and military clothing that is ripe for being reused or referenced or referenced yes or copied (laughs) (laughs) which we don't do actually it's like almost a twist it's like we kind of notice what went before and then try and do a contemporary um, evolution of it I think so some things don't feel chore wear at all we might exaggerate or um, uh, different details but it's very detail led rather than silhouette led Um, so it's really easy to wear and the idea is actually I think that the the people that we tend to sell to are makers, designers, artists, bakers, florists. They're all people who work in practical jobs. So they tend to use it to work in. Um, or that's the feedback that we get from people is that it's, it's just it really quite, it easy was, and nice to work It in. was quite lazy development in that it's what we wear and, yeah. and always have. And... Um, it wasn't a huge move and coming from our generation when Aflex Palace and Flip and the availability of surplus uh, and, and shops piled high with five elderly 501s. Um, uh, I, we come from a generation where it was much more available, this kind of clothing and, and that which is still about um, is often a bit tired now. Um, so... We're not reinventing a wheel. Um, we, we like to run everything through a sort of Payotten filter, I suppose. Um, uh, collections need to hang together, so we can't just grab from the past. We have to, we have to yeah. adapt. And there's lots say. of things we can't include. So, um, the tendency is to do more extreme design, I suppose, because of my background. But we tried that and people don't like it They because people want to be able to wear things and be comfortable in it. So you can kind of sneak in, <coughs> sorry, some clever details every now and again. But actually people tend to stick to the safer pieces. Having said that, our most popular piece of menswear is a pair of shawl trousers and there are 19 pieces in the waistband of that pair of trousers. Um, you wanted yeah. to get that in, didn't you? They're yeah, not, it's because not somebody asked me about some... that the other day. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. You know, like women's wear, you can have a top that <clears throat> has got two pieces <clears throat> in it. But men need, and this might be a generalised, well, it's, it's yeah. just you want more constructed, you want more detail. Men buy detail-led clothes in a way that women don't so much, I think. Is that being really sexist? But you, you, I bet you, when you buy, right, so when you're buying a pair of trousers, what do you look for, apart from the label? French seams up the legs. Do you know what? 
inside leg. <laughs> yeah. Of course, who overlocks the inside of their trouser legs? It's horrible. All the crummy brands that don't take the time yeah. to do it properly. I heard you talking to somebody about that before, and he said, oh, I always um, do that, you know, no overlocking on the inside seam. And it's just like, you just want it to be as quiet as possible. Um, so we do that. Now, you started in 2016. Yeah. Clearly, you've both had a life before that. Yeah, we are I'd old. love to hear more about your background and how this all came about. Do you want to go first? Well, uh, m- uh, my background is uh, um, uh, art student in the 80s, uh, carried on working, usually in paint and wood. Um, I spent a lot of time installing gallery exhibitions. I've made quite a lot of furniture. I've repaired quite a lot of houses and then painted them, often white. Um, Kept busy, uh, self-employed, largely hand-to-mouth. We've got three kids. Um, We had to keep working, which we've always done. Um, Becca, on the other hand. Yeah, so... um, (laughs) Sorry, again. Um... I went to, well, basically, I was going to do, this is a long story, apologies, but I was going to do graphics, but my dad said, it's prostitution, you shouldn't do it. So I said, well, I'm going to do fine art then. And he said, well, that's just a waste of time, you might as well just do nothing. Um, And then my friend was doing fashion, so I said, okay, I'm just going to do the same as Lucy. So I went and did fashion. Um, And basically, I followed her from one college to another college because I couldn't pattern cut, but I could design and she could pattern cut. So I used to get Lucy to do all my pattern cutting. So I went to Bristol, did a degree there. Um, At the end of that degree, my tutor said, oh, um, you should go to the Royal College. So I went to have a look at the Royal College and there was they took me in this room where there were birds flying around the room. And everyone I've spoken to who's been to the Royal College says there is no such room where there are doves flying around in some kind of atrium. But there was, I swear to God. So I said, well, I'm not doing that. So I went back and I said, I'm not doing it. She said, well, you've got to apply for CSM. So I thought, well, I'll just go for the interview (laughs) with no kind of thought about doing it. Went to the interview Loved it because it was like a mental institution, but thought I still don't want to do an MA. So I can't tell my tutor that because she'll hound me. So I waited till I finished my degree. Um, oh, so I went to, yes, yeah, so I went to the interview and the, because I didn't care about going, the woman said, so how are you going to pay for this MA? And I said, well, you're going to give me a bursary because I didn't realise that you only, only like three people a year get a bursary. So, and then I left before doing the maths test because I tried to learn fractions the night before. Couldn't do it, thought, bugger that. So I don't want to come anyway. So I left. Anyway, so they offered me a place, which I duly rejected. And then I got a phone call from the head of the course going, nobody rejects St. Martin's. We reject you. You don't reject us. I'm going to give you two weeks to think about this. And um, so I thought about it. And then I was in like this... And you told me not to be too personal, but I was in this terrible relationship and I thought, well, actually, what's the harm? So I did it. And there were 12 of us on the course and it was 18 months of 
it was great, loved it. So um, uh, left that, uh, and then we went to France. <laughs> we went baby. to France and, and, and started a family, and yeah. um, some things changed. And while Becca may have had some highfalutin, St. Martin's <laughs> ideas. I was really um, good. Uh, they changed a little. Yeah. Um, so I, I started doing... Becky's been teaching for uh, a long time. Yeah, I, I just kind of was doing freelance um, for some people, so varied, lots of different things. Um, uh, and then you get pulled into teaching, and then you get pulled even more into teaching, and before you know you're doing six days a week and you're getting paid more than the head of the course because you're sessional... And then it comes to the point where you're working from 5.30 in the morning answering students' um, queries and enjoying it, but it's a lot. And having to commute to London. And, um, and we always slightly promised ourselves that when the kids were old enough and had all vaguely moved out, we'd come up with another plan. That was the idea. Um, we, we'd sort of keep... Carrying on, carrying on, and, and Becca was commuting way too much. Um, I developed a tricky back and was getting less and less interested in repairing elderly houses. Um, and we just came up with another plan and we, um, we went it, it for a walk in the woods. We went for a walk in the woods. We came up with our viable list of options and they were, well, this. We, we based it on what we can do ourselves, um, in house. Um, what we have, the machinery and the, um, the skills and who's got 10,000 hours logged in a machine already. Um, and there wasn't really much debate about what we were going to do. Um, and we started, didn't we, for about two years. We, we, it was a couple of years before we gave up other work. Um, it declined um, beautifully, really. It just drifted off and stopped answering the phone and things like yeah. that. And, um, and then Although pay, I still sneak back over. and do like a yeah, day every now and back. again just because I miss it. But, so they let me come back for the yeah. other day. Um, and then lockdown happened and um, we were, the timing was good for us because we'd, we were set, we'd done three years of thinking about it and deciding whether we could and we've been cutting blocks and designing and realizing quite what was involved um, in the manufacture and and starting to optimize cut and and, and uh, sourcing cloth uh, it took those first two or three years before we were sure um, that it could take over from all other work um, but it did bang on three years really and we moved to a better studio and um, and then instantly locked down. I think weeks after we moved into the studio we're in now, um, that was it. Lockdown started and the, the um, pandemic hit. And we worked every day, seven days a week. We just went to work. Yeah, it was it was odd timing because everybody um, they could no one could get to a shop, so you only had the choice of. Um, online and then that's difficult isn't it so we had to think of ways to encourage people to to buy online but also have that experience of something else um so we make to order and it's very customer centric so for instance we send out swatch packs all the time so people can feel the fabric beforehand um we talk to people 
at length sometimes. Some people just come on the website, buy six pieces, um, go, never contact us, get the pieces, everything's fine. Other people you have an ongoing relationship with and they come back and come back. So I think we were kind of looking at the figures the other day and it's like 97% of our customers have bought from us before. Um, so it tends to be they come back and back and back and back and back and, you know, they get things like when it was the um, COVID was going on, everybody got a free mask every single time. We'd make a mask and put that in. Um, uh, if you're a customer, you get access to the new pieces 48 hours before it goes live on the website. Um, it's just it's just a very personal service. It was quite a big hit going we'd only just started trying to go places we uh, we we were going to a fair there was a, a lovely lady running a very good sustainable fair in north london in stoke newton that we went to two or three times and we realized just how much you have to have on a rail and what people are expecting to see and i come from a sort of exhibiting background so uh, I'm I'm often more keen that we just show the clothes uh, and and meet customers but people do need to be able to spend money on the day that's why they've turned up so you you end up having to produce stock and stock wasn't something we were originally planning on having much of Um, but it turned out we did and we were just kind of getting into making garments in multiples and and um, making sure all grades were done and really planning rails that we could take somewhere. And then it all stopped. And um, so we had quite a lot of clothes that we then had to call seconds. Yeah. We had yeah. we had stock that we didn't really know what to do with a lot of it um, all of a sudden. No, but when well, we but say it, that, we, we might be talking about 20 gone. pieces, yeah. not like 20,000 pieces. But for us, we just don't carry stock currently. Um, although there is kind of conversation now about, because we've now split the, the collection. So we have um, menswear, women's wear, and in both we have um, utility, which is things like bags, handkerchiefs, masks, um, hats sometimes. That's a growing, That's, um, yeah. growing cool. So then we, we also have... <laughs> Um, consistent collection, which is things like the chore trousers, the um, apron dresses, things like that, that are just every, you can just get all the time, traditional chore jacket. Um, so you can rely on getting that every single day of the week for, for years to come. And you can get that in any fabric you want. So we hold a lot of fabric that we don't um, list on the website. And then so people can literally go, could you give me everything I can get a chore jacket in? And then we just, and that changes all of the time. So we then send them a, a, a swatch pack of that and then they choose. So they might be the only person in the entire world who's got that jacket in that cloth in that length because we also then offer um, shorter or longer service completely free. So then that is the consistent or the constant collection. And then we, every six months, um, we launch a collection of six pieces which are a little bit more design-led. And interestingly... Well, and a bit more seasonal, a bit, bit weather-related, really. Yeah. There's, there's quite a weather-related seasonal. We can't do four. We can't really do three collections. We're, 
we're trying to get ahead of collections and it was hard. We were late a few times and that looks bad. It's not a big industry um, in the UK. Small, sustainable, slow fashion. I, I kind of like to get away from the word sustainable. It's too questionable. Um, I can't, doesn't work. Too overused at yes, the moment. Yeah. Yes. It's sort of lost its meaning. Whereas slow fashion makes all sorts of sense as the direct opposite of fast fashion, which everyone understands. We're not actually any slower than anybody yeah. else, although I suppose we are. You need some patience. We've got a four-week lead time at the moment. That can adjust a bit either way, but it's generally around four weeks. So I suppose slow fashion you need some patience in that you're going to have to wait a bit. Yeah. Um, but people don't mind that. No, I think it. it's increasingly seen as the way everything works, isn't it? Nothing, well, I suppose clothes are the big question because you do get used to picking them off the rail. Um, I don't know how much longer that's got, the massive rail. I know, yeah. I don't know what. What do you think? The uh, uh, the the nature of, um, of of retail clothing from what it was twenty thirty years ago to how you see it now. I don't know. I find it incredibly difficult to buy things in a shop because because it gives me too much opportunity to look at it, to study it, evaluate, feel it, try it on ultimately decide whether it's worth the money and then actually pay for it. Going by online descriptions Mm. and photos, it is far easier to buy stuff. Mm. But then do you send it back more often? Well, that's the problem living in Norway, which is now a problem in the UK if you're ordering from, say, Europe, is that once you've got it and you've paid your taxes and your VAT Mm. and everything... You're not going to get much of that refunded if you send it back. No. So then you're kind of stuck with yeah. it. It's tricky, isn't it? It's yeah, we try. I, I think that's one of the things that brands such as us can do, and so should do, is try our hardest to not get things sent back. Well, how many returns? I think we had five last year. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, we try returns. really hard to not get things we returned really for everybody. <laughs> And yeah. so we tend to, we, we, it's not so hard to communicate with people online. Um, yeah. And if people are prepared to enter into a bit of back and forth, yeah. then we can make sure they get what they yeah. want. And uh, yeah. Any and we queries. put a measurement chart, kind of, it's, it's all to do with whether or not you're okay working out your size. So we, there's a measurement chart for each garment on the garment page, because then you're not having to, to look for it. But um, it's most of the time we get, yeah, very few returns. And we was like our daughter, who we love dearly, she will buy from a shop like loads of clothes and then send them back. And I said, you do realise that when you buy those, that's not getting put back on a rail. You've basically just contributed to landfill. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Wow. But it's it's, it. it's uh, it's bad, you know. When clothes come back, it doesn't matter whether you think you have an odor, you have an odor, whether that's perfume or, or whatever, and then you can't resell <clears throat> that. So, um, 
we're really lucky in that our, our customers tend to connect to what we're doing and because there's a conversation and they're waiting for it and they're basically investing in it, then they tend to take it a little bit more carefully. Sometimes I think it's too much information. Like you say, you can get too much information by walking into a shop uh, and and it's all there in front of you for you to, to think too hard and then wander down the road and see what else is available um, was always my problem. Uh, whereas I think slow fashion brands as a alternative way to buy clothes, we... Uh, the, the the amount of money they have to cost, for example, means most of our customers seem to think quite carefully about what they're buying. They want to get their money's worth out of it. I, I know I do. Um, longevity, that's the yeah. environmentally friendly answer, surely, would be to get those clothes right and for them to be worn um, for as long as possible. I was reading earlier today about how Zalando, which is possibly German, at least European, massive online fashion place, they have a return rate of 50%. Wow. Yeah, that would, that would hate that. <laughs> we can do. And the thing is, though, that their business model is built upon the fact that you can easily return everything. Mm. So I suppose making it harder to return yeah. <laughs> does keep the return rate yeah. down a bit. But we don't make it like if somebody, so somebody, order something we take four, four weeks to make it um they say actually i don't want it we say absolutely fine return it and then they get a refund so there's no we never put a barrier up to you can't refund they just don't refund we do or, or, or return we they do ask don't. are you sure occasionally <laughs> you have to ask questions every now and again when people dither over sizing yeah um it's it's not so hard we but we do have to ask, we do ask questions occasionally and ask that people engage i suppose yeah yeah and if it's they don't engage they do. you kind of know so we had a woman who lives um in the same town of that as us and she asked about a jacket and um i said that's great she said oh i don't know what size i'll be and i said well give me your measurements these are, this is the measurement. So I sent her the, the chart for that particular jacket. And I said, give me your measurements and I'll tell you which one would be the best fit. And she said, well, can't I just um, buy it and then return it if I don't want it? And I said, well, seeing as we're making it, it'd be quite useful to, to, to get it right for you first time. And it was odd because it was someone really close. Yeah. And yet there was no, at the time, there was and no she, opportunity and she to didn't do what reply. you... And I think, well, actually, I'm really glad she didn't yeah. buy a jacket because I, I want people who actually care about that process and are buying in not just to the garment but understanding that a garment doesn't just turn up it has to be pattern cut designed graded cut out on a table sewn buttons attached trimmed ironed everything has to be thought about so it's we tend to get those kind of customers we've got brilliant customers i have to say and they just come back again and again. And that sounds like an advert, doesn't it? But it's just, I, I like that communication. We had one of the returns last year. He returned it and he sent a present with 
the trousers when he returned them. I thought that's so nice. Was, yeah, but Henny's doesn't get that. <laughs> but it's like it's um it's nice. I think people yeah, people engage, which is good. There was an online company two, three years ago that tried a very innovative way of sorting out the measurements. Mm. Uh, they used this you have, you first ordered a dot suit, which is this tight fitting black suit with dots all over. Yeah. Which was they were cunningly coded in you know, such a way that when you put your phone and the app there, it scanned you. So you did a, a little slow motion twirl while it scanned you. And it got your measurements surprisingly accurate. Wow, that's incredible. And then you could order clothes in the app and they'd come from China. Yeah. I think it about two months later or something, and didn't fit very well. <laughs> the measurements it took <laughs> were, really were very, very good. Yeah. Um, I think there's some on uh, Instagram, and certainly on the blog, there's a photo of me in my dot suit. It's not <laughs> such a great look. <laughs> That's think, really interesting. How much was it expensive? I think they sent you the dot suit free. Wow. Uh, so it was free up until the, you ordered clothes through yeah. it. That's clever. So... Yeah. Um, but they closed it down. I think they yeah. didn't get enough interest in it. No. it it's not. But it was very clever. It's yeah. not analog enough, though. There's far too much if you're not technologically willing. Um, we've come across uh, other brands uh, that we talked to who have tried all sorts: sending twiles out, um, posting sample garments. Um, everyone's trying um, to come up with new ways to, or other ways, when you're entirely online and mail order, um, coming up with ways to encourage people or allow them a bit more information than they can get online yeah. is difficult. I think the only way is to get out and about a bit more. Actually, I'm very hopeful that um, uh, with the aid of pop-up and, uh, and a noticeable increase in interest of, of, of slow fashion makers, I think, uh, the the product of people rather than the product of shipping containers or the contents of shipping containers. Uh, it's, it's certainly around here, it seems to be picking up and mm-hmm. it would be nice to imagine getting back to a, 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 a another time where we can, where, where people and brands can actually go somewhere. The very idea, a market, let's call it that. Let's call it a market. I miss the early days of Camden Lock and Kensington Market and Greenwich and all the other and Crystal Palace it's and, still there, and but... the top end of Portobello when there was still that guy selling old French toolware. Yeah. And um, uh, there were, there were, it seems that there used to be way more opportunity to, to actually see. And then after the lockdown and the pandemic, it's become perishingly difficult. Yeah, I think it's picking up. It was weird the other day because I we were talking about it and then I uh, messaged a friend of ours who does pop-ups and things and um, and she said, it's funny you should say it because I was just thinking of doing a pop-up in, in London and had you down as one of the 10 brands to include in this pop-up. So I think those kind of things are increasing. Um, that's our plan really is to, the studio we're in at the moment is tiny. So you've got two old grumpy people who are in a flat some of the time and then we move, go to an even smaller space and we work 
all day there, six to seven days a week. And it's, yeah, it's full on. And we, it's most... fine, but what we want is, sorry, what we want is to kind of kind of move past it. And the, the, the phrase Ben came up with the other, uh, the other day is pot bound. Yeah. Um, uh, in that, you know, when you put tomato, you get tomatoes out of one pot and you put them in a bigger pot and they just go like that. That's what we want to do. So in the space we're in, there are so many things that we want to do that we can't do. So we can't have a selling space with the working space so people can see and, and shop at the same time. We can't um, uh, sell vintage because we would love to sell vintage. We can't do repair. We really keen to do repair. Um, it's a really good spot. Do workshops. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great spot, but we need somewhere else as we expand. So we're kind of right up to our maximum. We're working seven days a week um, all the time. I've got a cutting table in our spare room now. So during the day, the um, the cutting table is used by Ben all of the time, which means when it turn, it's my turn to do grading or, or patterns, there just isn't the time in the studio. So we kind of split the time, split the space, and sometimes I'll work and... Um, do that so we really need a bigger space where there's two rooms so Ben can be in one and I can be in the other and we can kind of meet for we've, tea we've got one big table at the moment oh I suppose um, going back to that early bit of um, origin story um, I went oh I paint and repair old houses and now I'm in the fashion business that was a bit of a leap um, <laughs> I, I'm quite good with um, with uh, straight with following lines one way or another be that with a saw or a paintbrush or it turns out a really beautiful He's pair really, of shears it's really I got, I, I've got a really nice pair of Ernest Wright shears and um I, I really took to cutting. I'm um, I'm a sort of journeyman worker. I take jobs from Becca when they fall off the bottom of her ladder. Um, I pick them up. So um, I do the cutting. I do the finishing. Um, I cut boxes because um, I refuse to buy pre-cut cardboard boxes. Um, so I template cut those. And I do all the packing. And I do studio management, really. But Becca is the clever one. I do strategy and things. I saw you raise your eyebrows at studio management. I, I, I like to try and pick my job up a little bit. And, uh, we keep we keep on getting messages from people going, "Oh yeah, the clothes are great, but the packaging was just so lovely." And like Ben's like, I do so like. I do like getting comments about packaging the same way as I like getting a little wave from a motorcyclist. That you know you've behaved nearby. Just that little <laughs> friendly wave uh, tells you a lot about how your day's going. So <laughs> you spend most of your time together then? Yeah, yeah, all of it. Which is why I every now and again go and do a bit of teaching. Yeah, we're quite good at the sort of shift system. We've got one um, one big table, and sometimes uh, Becca will be uh, graving or, or pattern cutting. Um, and she has to have it. And then I've got other things I can go and get on with. Um, and we, we chop and change a little bit. I tend to get Saturdays on my own, catching up with, uh, or getting ahead of her on orders. And basically um, we've got a, we've got a thing, right? So we argue, everybody argues, um, but Ben can feel it in the air. <laughs> he feels it in the air and he goes, I'm just going to go and do, whatever 
and then he goes off. I generally go for a walk in the woods. I go for a little <laughs> quiet stroll. Yeah. And um, it works fine. We work seven days a week and, like I say, have done for a long time, so we don't feel guilty or begrudge ourselves we enjoy it. wandering off when the tension gets a bit high. <laughs> but it doesn't too often, does yeah. it? But I do, I've got really good at leaving the building before the, <laughs> before the tension has risen too much to get in the way of work. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do need, we, we, we could do with a lot more working space. There are so many things, so many satellite bits of the business, um, that we should be making more of. Um, repair, vintage, buttonholing I could really do with a Reese 101 buttonholer bolted to the floor and that would be a wildly that'd be a massive leap do you know what Um, they are nice but do you know what it's so expensive to buy a Reese 101 and then I don't know if you've ever used one but they are the most terrifying machines and the noise and and everything basically when I was at CSM we used to go and get our buttons done by this guy called Martin in Soho and uh, when we started Pay Autumn I said oh I used to get buttons done by this guy in, in Soho we should see if he's still going he is still going and he does everybody's buttons but I mean we can't we can't it doesn't make sense to go 50 miles to buttonhole five jackets and then come back and so we have to think of other ways to do it. But there is a market there. If somebody wanted to... Well, it's part, it's part of the future of small brands, isn't it? Which, yeah. I, I, you know, a big fan of makers and small independent uh, production of, of anything, really. But it really does work with clothing. It, it's a regional, like tool makers. It's a, it's a regional craft, if you want to. Um uh, but the satellite businesses, the, the leather workers and the buttonholers, uh, there's not enough work to open up as a small rural buttonholing business, I don't think. No. That's why there's still only DM buttonholes in central London and nobody else can name a single firm that does that. No. Um, you've got your own Reese 101 and you do your own buttonholes generally Mm. and you've got to be of a certain size to get away with that and there's a few other bits of machinery that you hanker after i think that's the that's basically the problem is that um industry or the fashion industry the clothing industry the manufacturing industry the fabric industry in the uk has been allowed to rot so you've got literally some wool mills and they do some beautiful um, well, but if you want somebody who's going to weave um, hemp or cotton to a nice standard, that mm. just does not happen in the UK. So it's really difficult. We've got two fabric suppliers. Um, one is a mill in Leicestershire. Is it Lancashire? No, Lancashire. Lancashire. Um, where we buy all of the jacket and trouser fabric and then we buy everything else, all the organic um, cloth, all the hemp, all the tensile that comes from a merchant. Um, so uh, there's just no one in the UK who um, 
who does that? You know, and like we use Courtney Buttons. So I bet you hear Courtney Buttons. Oh, you're going to tell me some of that. This is so good. I was going to say, well, you've got Daniel down in London, at London Cloth Company. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? We contacted him right at the beginning because we love what he does. You know, the, you're talking about the denim guy. He does all sorts. Yeah. Um, all sorts. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that because we have a price point and I think that he hit over our price point. Um, which we is which is often the way when the sort of development of new businesses yeah. and it's the same with British vineyards I suppose um, good wine but it comes in dear oh well that's the thing they're not shy when it comes to pricing mm. no uh, they <laughs> are very enthusiastic in their pricing <laughs> but I think like uh, using buttons from Courtney mm. and Co. You sort of buy the British buttons, you get a free story along with yeah. it because it's the last remaining button company in England. It's the same way with Daniel at London Cloth yeah. Company because yeah. you'll make the cloth and you get the free story yeah. with it. And he's such a great character yeah. that it sort of allows you to set a higher price point yeah. because, well, yeah, I mean, people yeah. love collaborations, don't yeah. they? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, we, do, we yeah we we kind of rate so we do have some more expensive cloth. The best cloth we ever got was from this guy in um, Paris who could only weave um, was it five hundred meters, meters at a time. At time, and he used recycled denim um, linen mix, um, and he did it as a selvage. It was beautiful. It's all tied off every ten centimeters. We're down to we've got one more order of a jacket and a pair of trousers that are going to be made out of that and then that's gone and we can't get any and there was a sudden was so run at the last minute point. we had it on a roll for about two years didn't yeah. we we kept making odd bits and pieces and a friend of mine's got a jacket that he swears by and we just couldn't work out why it wasn't going and then, and then all of a sudden it's a little last went. rush on the final eight meters i've been yeah. parceling it out desperately trying to get the salvage on trouser seams and then cutting jackets from that weird shape down the middle and really squeezing the last eight metres. But it was a beautiful bit of cloth produced by a very small... Mm -hmm. I I like all the linen. I mean, it's a shame often think about spending more time in Ireland and and chasing linen down a bit more enthusiastically. Um, Got some beautiful linen. Um, But I don't really know how the, the future of, especially in this country, but hemp and flax and, and it's not being grown and milled in any sufficient quantity in this country. But when it is, it would be really nice to run our businesses such as ours quite nearby. And uh, we're very keen on reducing our mileage uh, where we can. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I look forward to that. I think there's a future there to look forward to. I see Patrick Grant uh, is involved in some uh, linen growing enterprise. He keeps posting things on his Instagram. Oh, I might have a listen. Right. I don't yeah. think I've listened to his um, podcast. Or have we heard of I, I didn't mention it on the podcast, I, I forgot. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? That everything that's um, being tried at the moment is being tried by enthusiastic people. Yeah, and there's an awful lot of trial and error to yeah. be to be passed through yet. It's not as though we can go back to a massive UK industry of milling um, quickly. But, but we should, there the, should be, the need, I think, governmental it, support to support um, people who are trying 
to do it because there are so many great people. You know, Community Clothing, what a brilliant brand to um, be employing people locally and um, supporting industry and try to build it up and um, Hyatt Jeans, all of these people who are just being able to employ and kind of... Um, improve it but there's no there is no support from the government really there's support i tell you what there's support from the government if what you want to do is buy um stuff overseas so they have like liaison people who will help you um sort out getting things made in china but they won't help you get things made in the uk but i don't mind that lack of support really mm-hmm. well i mean it would be great wouldn't it but is that not the nature of one of the definitions of sustainable it was, or it is for us, which is what we can manage ourselves. I don't think so you can you can be a government that calls for Brexit and then does not support British manufacturing. That makes no sense to me. Let's leave where everything is and then um, not try and build something new here. This is the kind yeah. of thing you told me not to say, so well, I'm not going to get into but they, they can it. Only, but it's They true. can only support things that we try. So, yeah. so now we've got to try doing things in slightly different ways. Um, uh, and there'll be swings and roundabouts, I imagine. Mm. Um, it's the choice, isn't it? That's the thing that everyone that we've all got used to is having a seemingly limitless choice and being able to get everything from everywhere almost immediately. It's a huge change. I mean, I, it sort of passed me by. I must say, I was just kept ordering. I was just pleased when you could get Carhartt overalls in this country and I didn't have to wait for a friend to go to New York and then bully them into getting me some more trousers, which I had to do for years. And then and then the internet's finally taken over and um, everything is available everywhere all the time and that's just not realistic. It can't it can't work like that forever. It relies on such a huge amount of peripheral waste um, that, that that is unsustainable. It's easier to pick on things that are unsustainable than it is to pick on things that are sustainable. Really. Is, is anything humans are up to truly sustainable? I don't think so. I don't think so. I can remember going, there's, have you ever been to Premier Vision? Um, so, it's, so Premier Vision is um, a huge fabric fair that happens in Paris and um, it happens twice a year, and then there are satellite shows in different countries for things like denim. Um, but Premier Vision is massive, so all of the the fabric suppliers from all over the world go to Premier Vision, and it's fantastic. And I can remember sitting there. I, was, I went there with this woman because we were doing a um, a collab. This was before Payotten, and um, we were doing this collaboration thing, and. Um, I can remember sitting down with this uh, company from Japan and I said, oh, you know, this is beautiful organic um, cloth, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you do realise that there is there is no sustainable cloth in this world. You know, if you're, and, and we have it at the moment, like if you buy organic, the organic cloth that you're going to get the best, it comes from China. So you're making that, that decision. Oh, do you want to um, buy something that's possibly being made by people who were imprisoned you know you, you can't tell the ethics of the company well you, you can try your hardest and you do try your hardest but you know so if you're buying organic it's coming from China you know and then people buying 
organic white bleached white t-shirt well that's completely wrong you know the kind of the the manufacture of cotton is horrendous the amount of water that it's used well i think so also when, when you took me to premier vision and startled me with the enormous variation immense exhibition halls filled with treated leathers and um just a, a, an astonishing amount of cloth just being brought into the exhibition hall for an event. It's not as though someone's walking away with a few thousand metres. It's, it's just to show off yeah. miles and miles of cloth that's already been milled with no particular customer in mind. And that was the, that's the method, isn't it? That's yeah. the system that we seem to have got used to is that you just keep rolling out the, the raw material but it's better if you've already got the customer lined up i i really enjoy making things for people who have already made that decision to purchase and then we start making yeah there's that's the zero waste bit is that we don't even make it at all beforehand we've got our sample garments and we've got our twirls and we have the clothes that we need to make for shoots. So everything in model sizes. And um, but then that's it. We don't we don't unnecessarily make anything until now, obviously, when we decided to start going places again. <laughs> so we've got to remake a rail. Um, uh, yeah. But um, it was all there. It's, it's just it's just the preemptive production of raw material, which can only surely work out better if it's much smaller mills and um, much in the way that the linen industry works in Ireland. So a lot lot of places, if you're trying to buy Turkey, again, is a a good um, country for um, organic cloth and for hemp and things like that. But you're going to have to buy 5,000 litres at a time in order to do it. So unless you're saying, oh, I'm sampling which point you can buy a smaller amount but the price point goes massively up um, which is why we go through um, a, a merchant to buy all of that stuff because then they do buy the 5,000 litres and then they supply an awful lot of the, the people um, so you know we'll, we'll have a look and we kind of see other brands that we know and go oh look so we can't use that cloth because they've now bought that cloth and they're, they're now um using it so there's this kind of avoidance although i do think that's one of the nice things about indigo and cotton canvas and tan and a nice olive and two or three weights of denim it's the same it's it's plywood Mm. it's the material is the same it can vary and you get what you pay for and some of it is more reliably sourced than some others um, but it's still a, a raw material and that other people can do slightly different variations of roughly the same sort of clothing. I, I really like that. I like those little variations. So they remind me a lot of tool makers. Mm. Yeah, it depends what you're doing and where you're doing it and what the weather's like. Um, I, I'm just saying you don't always see other people using no. cloth and think, oh, I can't use that now. You don't. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, no. It's a bit. It is a really. I think uh, it's, it's like this myth. I think that people in the fashion industry are horrible or up themselves or snotty or I don't. I never got that. 
I've never, I don't see that, you know, so like we're, um, maybe it's like slow fashion brands are slightly nicer, but, um, you know, it's like one of our complete competitors who we know vaguely because we met at um, Pop-Up, um, she was using bags a few seasons ago. I thought, they're nice bags. So I just said, where are you getting your bags from? And she said, oh, I'm getting them from da 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 You know, there's this sh- um, sharing of information. Another um, brand, Justine Tabak, who does um, women's clothes. Um, I got in touch with her a few days ago because somebody I know really needs to speak to somebody who does women's wear in London. And she goes, yeah, 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 just send around. I'll have a, a chat. You know, there's like this kind of openness and freeness and um, generosity, I think, where people are realising actually it makes sense to share well, it's or share, share who your suppliers are and things because then the suppliers keep on going. Um, it, yeah, I it's a much, It'd be a much better business if there were a lot more people involved. I don't think, I've never come across anyone that's hugely bothered about competition on the scale that the slow fashion brands are working at. Um, why would you be bothered about competition? If we had 300 of our perfect customer, that would do. Um, if we had, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of really nice repeat customers. Um, and it wouldn't take many, two or 300 people, I think. Um, and that's it. You'd have as much work as you could possibly handle. And two or three hundred people buying three garments a year. It's, it, it's no point being overly competitive, um, within such a small marketplace. Um, like to see more people doing it is quite a, um, uh, a, a visible transition from making your own clothes, I think, from a, a DIY, a repair, um, upcycling, recycling, vintage. There's not a huge leap. Um, conceptually between managing your own wardrobe and actually making some clothes. It's, it's not an inconceivable business to start working in. And there are so many subsidiary and satellite businesses attached to the clothing industry. So there's, there's an awful lot to do. And I think everyone's very generous with their information and their um, uh, suppliers and anything. I well, we gave away. We we put a couple of patterns out um, of masks and hope to put other patterns up on the website occasionally. And I know plenty of other brands do. Christopher Rayburn, of course. The 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 you know an a, an early start and and the interview you did with him. He 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 said he they were hoping that others would carry on and and that the industry in the UK would progress in that vein and um, I think it has I think it is it could be better it could be it could be more <laughs> of it but it doesn't actually want to be the company's suit being the size they are they just need to be an awful lot more of them I think it's a, di- a different headspace isn't it if you're buying from a slow fashion brand and you're getting something made for you um, and you're happy to wait for those however many weeks it takes um and then get it and know that it's going to be a good quality garment, then that's that's one type of person. And then somebody else who um, doesn't have that money or, or whatever and then wants to, to buy, that's just a different type of person. I think there's space for both um, 
But yeah, it would be nice, I think, if the government supported. Because you're not going to let this go no, on. No, because it's, like, it's, like, <laughs> it's it? just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like we we had it all here. It was literally like we've got the best design schools in the entire universe and beyond. Like geniusly brilliant education. We've got. Um, all of the buildings yeah. we're beginning to lose the skills and the knowledge and they're just going to let it go it's like we were we were we were great. I think yeah but I think the investment doesn't want to go on people like us or, or brands I'm not saying I, the, I don't want no. it on us I want it what I want it on is on mills and factories and crop. farmers yeah. and crop and all of those kind of things um would be incredible so that you know it's right so for instance i mentioned premier vision well there's another fair called the the textile fair which happens in london and we every year i think right i'm going to go and then every year i look at the the list of the people who are going to be showing there there were like two british brands um there this year it's like a it's a british show post-brexit there should be british mills but it's just not worth their while to to. Well, they to were do dismantled. It. We've dismantled all the mills, haven't we? Largely, and those that are still going are those that never stopped. I think, um, and that's why you're seeing the last, the last, the last button company. That's a terrible shame, and uh, it shouldn't. It would be better if they weren't the. I mean, I'm sure they're 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 lovely people, and we use their buttons we do, too. And, yeah, we and, buy um, from. Um, I'm not trying Courtney to throw their, throw their business away a, or anything. A different one, Jones, but um, we had some, some fantastic gritty buttons. We used to go to more um, sample shows and sample fairs, and and buy a lot more dead stock um, a few years ago when it was still easier to get out and about. And uh, I found a massive pile of boxes of gritty buttons. Um, uh, and I and I left. I was so excited that I didn't go and get the other There were two pile, more boxes Which we have no idea what and was like, in them. Always because we've like oh, almost really. at our end of these uh, most yeah. beautiful oh, Italian Carrozzo. Um, they are Carrozzo. Yeah. yeah, buttons. They're just, just stunningly beautiful. And we've got three boxes, which are crap. We wouldn't use them. <laughs> They'd be great for somebody else, but they're not kind of pay often. But um, we always wonder what was in those other what two boxes. boxes. Maybe they were the black ones that were really, really... They were the best they ones. They were definitely the best ones. <laughs> um, I, I was going to mention, uh, there was one mill that started up not that many years ago, uh, English Fine Cottons in Manchester. Oh, I haven't heard of They are super modern and sort of bringing mm. cotton weaving back to... To where it started. Oh, that's good. Oh, I'll write that down. Well, we missed that one. When you're talking though, it keeps striking me that there must be some mileage in taking more, sort of the money out and putting community in, whereby companies that need cloth have a mill that supplies them a small mill. Uh, you could almost have the the button man, buttonhole man in his electric vehicle driving around from <laughs> company to company, buttonholing. Yeah. <laughs> but the sort of shared uh, yeah, collaboration, making yeah. and working together. Yeah. Because as you said, I mean, if you had 300 customers, you'd be set. Yeah. And for the UK market, that's disregarding everything outside yeah. the UK, yeah. 300. I mean, it's not even a tiny yeah. village, I mean, is I must, it? I must say, if I had 300 of our ideal customers, 
so it's a kind of small. Yeah, so we don't sell, we only sell as far as Europe because the whole you know, um, carbon footprint and all of those kind of things. So yes, like 300 customers would be great. And actually you've kind of knocked onto something Ben was always really keen about, which is where we move next, wouldn't it be great to be within a space where you could collaborate and the idea of being somewhere where there were a whole load of other um, small brands or makers or weavers or all of those things it would that that's kind of the next thing of like about a year ago I put it on Instagram saying we want to go somewhere can you suggest where we go and it was our biggest ever Oh, huge, huge like hundreds and hundreds of really like people saying you should go here you should go there there's this there's this there's this and it is so that it is there it's just not pulled together but that's i, I guess is the next um spot with, for us to go we're thinking of going on tour aren't we yeah <laughs> we're going on the road <laughs> gonna hit the road yeah because we get there were maybe like five places um, where we know that there are other makers and people that we've met before. Um, so some in the north, some in the west. Um, it's all quite disparate. I think. Yeah. I think the 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 the, the, the ideal of being near <laughs> nearer to the mill. We're we're hoping we that that would be the sensible move for the likes of us. Mm. Um, and in the middle of the island is almost certainly going to be the the area to go to by the look of things. Um, uh, but it would be really nice to be on the edge of something starting, wouldn't it? And I yeah. don't really see much investment, much effort. I don't know, that's a cruel thing to say, not much effort. I'm sure some people are working really hard at it. But developing you know, hemp as a, as a crop is a fantastic crop. It's a low pesticide, um, Four crops fairly a year. Mo- low maintenance. It's a fantastically environmentally friendly crop. Um, surely, um, and we know what can be done with it when it's reconstituted with recycled cottons and linens and the recycling business is being taken way more seriously, but it's, it's nowhere near what it should be. Um, the reconstituting of cloth, the, the small runs, I think it's the size of businesses really. Yeah. And like you say, if you had a collaborative, um, system whereby smaller mills made smaller runs but they they were guaranteed to sell it that the the the, the overspill was the reduction what what a lovely world that we'd love to collaborate it's um we yeah we we're very open to well we do and you you have to don't you there are always other things that you need other people to do um uh um like say leather workers and they're really handy. Um, you can't have too many leather workers. Like Good laundrettes. I mean, I'd like to see someone taking laundry a bit more seriously if you're being environmentally conscious. Um, we, we all need that. And if you're going to repurpose and if you're going to recycle, then more efficient ways of, of handling that in bulk before yeah. it then gets split out amongst the disseminated amongst the smaller brands yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not entirely sure or the Suez Canal will get blocked again and they'll <laughs> just suddenly everything will stop or, yeah, or something at the end of the day it's all down to money isn't it so whilst 
we'd like to see more recycled fabric and sort of start eating into these mountains of existing fabrics and clothes as long as it's cheaper just to make some new stuff it's kind of not going to happen is it no it's not going to well it's not going to happen until it's forced to happen i think that's the thing is that we it's the same as the planet melting um we're not going to do anything we're not going to do anything actually because by the time we go actually we're going to do something it's over i think it's probably over anyway and (laughs) no i don't no i don't mean it (laughs) it's just how many times do you have to be told you have to change your behavior? Otherwise, it's <clears throat> going to go tits up. You know, nobody does it. Nobody does it. I tell you the best thing people could do if they want to save the planet. I have a theory, right? <laughs> and go. that is don't buy white T-shirts. Because if you buy, and I notice you're wearing a white T-shirt. <laughs> but right, okay. You'll wear that white T-shirt. That white T-shirt will go grey or off colour, somebody will put it in a washing machine and go, whatever, you've wrecked my t-shirt, you'll throw it away, right? If you buy a grey (laughs) t-shirt, you keep it forever. So I've got, like this mad woman, I have five grey t-shirts. I bought those grey (laughs) t-shirts from River Island and Zara probably nearly a decade ago. And actually a lot of fast fashion is quite beautifully made so those those t-shirts they have never fallen apart the seams they're perfectly fine they are gray they're always going to be gray they never i'm never going to get upset i think it's quite a big statement that you can save the planet by not wearing white t-shirts <laughs> but you can because you're suddenly not getting into the bleaching and all of that kind of stuff it's symbolic of something isn't it yeah, and you're not just expecting a T-shirt to last for one year or five wears or whatever. You're expecting, you know, every time I used to buy a white T-shirt, I'd have hope that I would protect the whiteness of that T-shirt. It would last forever. It never does. It never does. Great T-shirts is the way to go. And I honestly think you don't have to have a huge amount of money. Those T-shirts cost me three quid each. They're still going beautifully. <laughs> I know you think my take on that would be that if they made t-shirts that came sort of pre-stained with coffee and tea spatters on i could have them forever because the whiter and more expensive a t-shirt is the food the shorter time it takes before it's destroyed yeah no absolutely what's that stuff you use he's like so ben is like genius at washing oh don't get me started on laundry no, you mustn't get started on laundry. Let's go down that rabbit hole, Ben. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Stage is yours. But you I say clothes. To, well, no, it's being in the garment industry now, isn't it? I've always, I've, I've, I've always, every job I've done has involved quite a high level of tidying up at the end, whether that was exhibitions and private views are coming or whether you've been specifically employed to make that house look really shiny. Everything involves a final finish. I enjoy the element of my work now that is the finishing and the rummaging through trying to find threads. And things like poorly washed cloth now drive me mad in the same way as as roller splatter used to drive me mad. 15 Um, minutes at 30 degrees. 
15 minutes at 30 degrees. That's and all you need. There are, there are, yeah, you're Unless talking you about vanish, aren't you? I'm that, talking about, no, that's yeah. fantastic. There are actually. other cleaning. Oh, there are probably cool. other cleaning products. But, but it's magical. Somebody's really worked that out. Somebody's going to tell me now that it's really bad, aren't they? But, um, you kill a polar bear every time you open the box. <laughs> tub of vanish. Um, but how do you use it? Well, pre-soaking, see. Careful, careful pre-soaking. Um, uh, Honestly, put your tea towels in it. Wow, it's like a remarkable. whole new world. You can't believe it. But, you know, like... I am obsessed with laundry, <laughs> though, particularly laundrettes in the absence of them. The French do it very well. They seem to have um, laundromats outside supermarkets. Um, what? Great idea. Why have we got to have a washing machine each? Um, it's a really bad idea. We're flooding plumbing with unnecessary soap. Laundrettes, that was a good business. That's good work. Um, you need one massive machine, not thousands of little machines, surely. I think it's to do with the way we clean our clothes now, whereby anything that's been worn more than a second mm. is ready to be washed mm. and preferably tumble dried as well to sort of really maximize it's it. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because if you think if you invest in a proper pair of jeans, then the advice would be wear those jeans for as long as possible, especially if it's raw denim, wear it as long as possible, up to a year if you can possibly cope with it. And then when you finally wash them, those trousers will reveal themselves to you. So you'll have the creases where you where you move. And they, they kind of your jeans. And, um, I, you know, if you can do jeans for a year, then you can do um, other stuff for longer. I, I have like oh, I think long, but that's longevity of clothing yeah. isn't it I mean I've got less clothes we seem to wear things we once we, I mean we don't but people wear things once then wash it and then wear it five times and then throw it away that's just madness to me we've but. got the we've got the greatest wash sample um, uh, try garments out system though called the model that we use which is our youngest son who's also a fine art student and quite the active fellow. And he doesn't <laughs> care, does he? You give him hand... He's got the largest wardrobe of handmade clothes um, I've ever seen. Yeah. All of them have paint and oil and gum. I mean, he, he, yeah, he'll, he'll <laughs> wear a 200-quid jacket and he will cover it in linseed within five oh, minutes. Oh, he's an absolute menace. Doesn't but you care. really do But his jackets look great. After about two they years, do, yeah. they will kind of... Faded and grimy, and they you should be uh, sneaking them back in and sort of selling them as special editions. I do exactly that. I uh, I take <laughs> clothes sell. back off the children when they. Uh, it's one of the nice things about the repair department. I um, I'm really looking forward to the repair department. It's um, that's my field. That yeah. um, uh, my clothes or uh, some of our clothes that we wear a lot have already gone through the repair. Um, you can probably see this jacket is um covered in tiny little uh, repair marks and Becca's got extremely oh, she's she's got some remarkable moves when it comes to, <laughs> to, to beefing up very thin cloth but um, we keep garments going for a long time um, yeah. and then we patch them and then we keep them going again we um, met this brilliant guy didn't we can you remember that he's um, so you know you get 
uh, jackets, so denim, where maybe it's like 200 years old and it needs to be repaired um, carefully. He he was down to the the, the oh he'd thread, take a you know, fragment so of a shirt clever. and then reconstruct it reconstruct like clone it. Shirt. so clever things would be sent over from America and he would be paid literally hundreds if not thousands of pounds to just beautifully not that they were ever going to be worn again but just to stabilize these incredibly old um, garments it's such a skill we follow somebody on Instagram I can't remember what they're called now Dutch Dutch Repair do you follow Dutch Repair brilliant so they've got this excellent um, machine that you can um, oh the rolling arm it's like a rolling arm machine and you basically I think it's Dutch Repair on Insta and it basically they just kind of roll it for trouser legs thing, and sleeves and, and you can and you, you can, can your jeans it. just look like completely new you wouldn't know that it got a repair on it because it's just this building up of stitches and things it's incredible what you can do it's uh it's a darning yeah, machine yeah it's a darning machine yeah uh janelle who was last week's guest uh-huh. has one in oh, london actually, they're really expensive i looked them up to see if we could get one and they're like thousands <laughs> so you have to make a community yeah, with janelle well but oh, i might listen to that well but what a good one. what a good example yeah. of of the uh, it's like every task needs somebody to take it seriously. Yeah. You know, and if that's a darning machine or if that's a Reese 101 yeah. buttonhole. So people need to take their job seriously. And when people are good at it, that's exactly what they do. They concentrate and they do that bit. Mm. And uh, it's very hard to multitask. I mean, we're doing, we're doing everything, which is a <laughs> bit much, isn't yeah. it? We yeah. do need to yeah. um, get that's somebody else on machines soon. Yeah. Um, because we we run out of time to do other things, yeah. really. If we're if we're up to orders, then um, that's it. We're fulfilling orders all day, every day, and we don't quite get to the other things in time, yeah. like spring, mm. summer, twenty three, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nowhere near that. <laughs> uh, I do wonder. Sorry to interrupt, but at this point in the pod, you're probably wondering where are the ads? I miss the ads. And you're right, there are no ads. I hate ads. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, though, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, enter Gomology, and it's easy. And, uh, yeah, let's continue on. Now that you're six years into the business, uh, I mean, I'm wondering, how is it going? And I wonder when small companies... I mean, the most extreme example is a a one-person company, where, I don't know how they do I mean, that. It's, it's, it starts out with accounting, VAT, yeah. shipping stuff, social media, yeah. ordering in stuff, and then about half an hour at the end of the day, there's some time to make something. Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah, well, we flip it, so it's it's yeah, we're like ninety percent making, and then in the evenings and in the we, I'll tell you what actually happened was we were going insane because we were making, 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 making and Instagram was just completely completely falling off and becoming really stressful. So we now don't make on a Friday. There's a rule. I can pattern cut if we're desperate, but there is no making on a Friday. You can tell that's one of my rules. That was one of my strategic plans. Do you <laughs> see that? She's already listed what, what she can do. She's allowed to do that and that. Yeah, well, it, but it, it is really works. It really works because then we we start the Friday with a 
kind of a meeting. We're talking all the time anyway, but it's like a you set aside time and you think, right, so strategically, what do we need to do next? And it, it does work. It kind of breaks up. You didn't quite get to the end of your question. <laughs> I think I got the gist of it, but it was really sort of once you've done all the stuff that needs to be done yeah. to keep a business running, and then you have to make stuff. Because I imagine most people will start a business like this because they want to make the yeah. stuff, and then they must get so bogged down in all the, all the stuff, yeah. all the, the other drudgy thing. stuff that in a bigger company you'd have someone sitting in a little room yeah. in the basement taking care of all that. Yeah. yeah. We tried yeah, to get well, our daughter to do it, but she didn't fall for it. I think you can minimise that. Um, the, 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 the technology is, I don't pretend to be the one that's on top of all of this. I'm not. Mm. Um, uh, but it, it, it hasn't been wildly arduous. It's keeping on top of it, isn't it? It's but, once yeah, it's set up. I mean, yeah, I think that thing that was very true about the first two or three years. You're going to find out. I mean, we weren't 100% sure that the business could pay the rent um, the uh, and, and just earn enough. And we gave it three years, um, and we were quite tight on it. We were bang on, actually. It was—I um, don't know if that was planning or just chance, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I find keep, keeping all of that as simple as possible um, suits the aesthetic for a start. Um, uh, we we don't want to adjust the website all the time. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I've got, so basically we spend an awful lot of time <laughs> kind of making um, I've got quite uh, I'm quite good digitally as well as physically so I can things like Photoshop and editing and all of those kind of things I can I can do really quite quickly so I kind of allocate time and also I'm an early riser so Ben's <laughs> late in the night I'm, I'm really happy getting up at four o'clock in the morning and kind of starting work immediately like before it so what you're saying is that you basically do most of the work while Ben's asleep. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely She makes gotcha. it sound really bad. I mean, no, I don't. You I still, interpret it as still, bad. Well, you say you get up at four. I get up about half five. So it's not like I lie in or anything. Um, but no, but it does make... I mean, we, we're heading towards a live-work future um, yeah. because I do prefer to work later. Um, I'm big on pottering. Yeah, he'll, he'll I've work got a very high so pottering. He, he, he's quite happy to go and be cutting um, into the evening, and then I stop. You know, so it's it's a balance of um, what's going on. But yeah, at the moment we're doing everything, and if there was one thing that we could hand over, I think it would be a bit of making. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, no, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, it has been quite... I don't know how people manage on their own. Uh, we know a couple of brands who are sole trader, and the work must be astonishing. We have to... We pass garments backwards and forwards across the table yeah. all day. Machines are in one corner, cutting tables in the other, and they go backwards and forwards. There's an overlocker, and there's fusing, and there's buttonholes, and there's buttons, and there's finishing, and there's trimming, and, and a garment will bounce backwards and forwards. We make one gun at a time and we've got a clipboard and someone yells next and and um, I try and keep ahead of the cutting. But how you would do that on your own, I know. I um, imagine. Uh, that must be quite stressful. There was a, um, uh, a couple of years ago, Ben had to um, 
go away for it was it was like two weeks and it was in the middle of so it was during pandemic so even once he got back he couldn't go to the studio and so it was me on my own and I think I almost had a nervous breakdown because we just launched a collection and then he had to go and it was just like oh my god you know I cannot I literally and like the phone kept on going ka-ching 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 and it's like I cannot cope and I had to just kind of separate my head and have a, a cutting board at home. So I was doing that into the night and then making during the day because I, I just can't do it. And I'm nowhere near as... Ben's a really accurate cutter. So when he cuts something, it fits, like, beautifully. It fits. Even if it's linen, it just comes together. If I cut it, I'm a quick, turn the music up, chop, 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 cutter. And so it doesn't fit. And so you have then have all of this issue at the other end. So it's about um, skills. And I don't know how anyone, anyone, can, and buttons. I mean, I can't sew a button to save my life. I, I just can't do it. If I put it in, it doesn't, it doesn't sit right. The garment shifts or whatever. Ben can sew a button and there's just one stitch on the back. You wouldn't know it's gone through six times and, and all of those kind of things. But he's so, he's like, so accurate on his um you're very good well thanks very um, much but i don't know how i just can't see how somebody can do everything even having two it's it's, it's no but that's and that's why it's a nice it's why it's an interesting and, and generous industry really because mm-hmm. i don't think anybody can do everything you can you can get everything and do everything in house but there are so many particular jobs. It's not a jack-of-all-trades industry. I think you're quite rare, are you? Because you do everything. And then I take the I take jobs off the bottom of the ladder that you shouldn't have to do. And hopefully I'll get better. Hopefully, we'll, well, we will. We've got to get some help on machines at some point um, with, the, with the sewing. Um, uh, but I, 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 it's 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 a good it's good that you need so many other people to do other things, and every time somebody else comes in and concentrates on the bit that they're interested in, yeah. um, then all the better. Um, I keep convincing myself I'm going to learn how to cut leather properly, but I'm not. It's not going to happen. It's its and own job. And um, leather workers, it's too involved. There's a whole other toolkit. You need a whole room for that. You need a bench. You need to concentrate. You need to put in your hours. And um, it's not a job for someone to just do their best with. It, it, and it's the same with all of the skills that are needed, I think. <laughs> Personally. I'm a bit curious... Um, I mean, there's been so much talk about buying better, buying less, um, buying better, buying once. Oh. Uh, and I see a lot of people are, are buying better, certainly more expensive. Lots of oh. it. They're not just buying once. They get a bit addicted to the – because it's also nice. But if we're sort of going to take those expressions and go back to what they really intended, was to buy something really nice and use it a long, long time. How do you go about making something that someone will think is really nice, really appreciate it, and really use it until it's gone? Um, I think, I don't know, I think you can, we do a few things in that we make it 
so you can wear it. It's not going to date. So that's one thing. Stitch size, really important. So if you want something to last, the smaller the stitch, the longer it's going to last. So um, that's the main difference between fast fashion um, uh, and more expensive fashion is the type of thread they're using and also the stitch size. So uh, you, that will give you the longevity. I think it's. I think also buying something to order when you know it's been made for you. Um, that makes you want to keep it. Um, and I, we, we post as we're, sometimes we're in the studio, if it's not such a busy day, then we'll kind of post and people can see things, their jacket being cut out or, or whatever. And I think that kind of ties people to their garment. We've got this woman, right? And she has, she likes a particular type of dress. Now this dress costs 170 quid. Um, she wears it to her allotment to do her gardening, which I, I love that. And it lasts, you know, so she, she sent me a picture of her in wearing it in her allotment. And then she was going up for local council elections. And so she was wearing it for that. And she's just audit, ordered it in another color because she's found her dress. And, um, I like that. I like. We do try and find those as well. We've got yeah. a few. Um, uh, again, it's a, it's a nice moment when you realise somebody has found their garment mm. and they start ordering the same garment again. And we've got blocks that all blocks have got notations on them. And sometimes that includes uh, names and particular lengths of sleeves and legs. Um, you really do know when somebody has found their garment. And then when, when they, they have found their garment, you can... You can play with that because you get a different bit of cloth in and you know that it would work in that piece. Yeah. And then and also you we send ask, them a swatch. And, we and ask beforehand. So we involved. say, you know, we're just about to design the new stuff. Is there anything anybody wants? Um, and then we try and kind of build that in um, as far as we can. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's just about keeping things simple. Pockets, massively important. Um there is nothing worse than putting your hand in the pocket and that pocket being lean. Um, so a lot of the people that we're designing for, they need pockets, you know, so they're, they're working people, so they have a need for They pockets. have needs. They have needs. And sometimes so this, particular yeah, needs. So the, the woman who wears her um, expensive dress for the allotment, that dress comes with one pocket. Her dress always comes with two pockets because she needs two pockets and she asks for them. And we don't pay for it. We just like that, doing that, because then we know that person is going to hold on to that garment forever and ever and ever and they're going to use it because it it works for them. So it's all of those, like folk, there's, there's another jacket which we've now just discontinued, but it has, if you look at it, it's just got two pockets. But inside one of those pockets is a phone pocket so that your phone's not going to fall out. And we'd, for ages and ages, we'd say, we're going to put this phone pocket in. It's not advertised on the thing. We're going to put this phone pocket in. Which side do you want it? And what phone do you use? So that we could get the right size pocket. But everybody has an Apple. And so it just, everybody was always going, I want it on the right side and I want it um, whatever size. It's it standardised itself. Yeah, it? so we just, we asking <laughs> and just put it in. But I think in answer to your question, personalising, yeah. To a to to the degree that you can, we you know we were talking about a, a 
tailor friend of ours who's the other end of that spectrum. It couldn't be more personalised. And one garment at a time can take months. There'll be at least three fittings. And uh, it's tailored um, handmade clothing. Uh, we, on the other hand, just by nature of how we manufacture, we can do a certain amount of giving people what they particularly wanted. We can't, it's very hard to offer everything, offer things on websites. Um, but you can wait for people to ask and communicate, and which is part of the communicating with your customer. Being. So, yeah, one thing we don't do, we don't make things out of black cloth because <laughs> it freaks me I out. I can't stand because it. Because it, <laughs> it gets so dusty. It just, like, draws um, stuff to it. So, it's <laughs> so, anyway, he doesn't like it. So we don't advertise it, but a customer got in touch a few weeks ago and said, oh, um, I'm going to a funeral. Can you do... Can, do you do it in black? And we said, yeah, we do it in black. So we, um, it's all of those kind of things that you have that communication. So although you're actually offering quite a basic garment at not exorbitant cost, you know, a jacket's 200 quid. It's, you know, you could, you know, that's high street prices actually for, not for everybody, but it's not massive. It's not exclusive. But within that, because of the way we're working, we're able to offer it in a different way. And I, I like that. I like, the fact that that freaks people out a little bit that they can ask and then they can get it because if everybody did that then you could you could move forward and people could start buying differently I think I don't know I don't know my daughter wears nothing it really <laughs> irritates me but, um, God, it's interesting because I, I can see certain similarities between what you're doing and what old town mm-hmm. do and when I was talking to them, they mentioned that they were seeing uh, quite a few wedding yeah, use of their clothes. Yeah. So you've got the funeral use We've of had, yours. We have had a couple of weddings. They, hang on, hang on. They've got Monty Don, the celebrity yeah, gardener, yeah. and you've got allotment lady. <laughs> I mean, the, the parallels are yeah, clear here. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Old Town were always a really good, really useful model there. We're yeah. really impressed by Old Town. Because of always the grandparents. Well, they are. They're like a, they're, they're, I, I, I just, I really like the cut of their jib. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, they, they, uh, I, I like the clothes that they make and I like the way that they make them. I've run into a few people over the years who have said that making the trip to Holt and kind of saving up. I know a couple of people. I was always planning to save up. And if I was going to go all the way to Holt, then I'd need to buy everything. Yeah. I'd, I'd need about two and a half, three grand and the, and the day. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? If you were going to really, if you were in the market. Yeah. Um, I think they do a, a, a really, they, they've been a really good um, influence, a good model, uh, I think, for for a, a, an old way of, of doing things. I don't but, think, yeah, without contemporary old town, clothes. So I think we wouldn't have thought we could we could possible, do made to yeah. order. I think if if they hadn't actually pioneered that course, we would have thought. Uh, we've got to come up with... Well, I think um, especially living out in the countryside and just being a couple of people getting on with making clothes, they were also very... um, It was was great to see them, see somebody doing that, really. Yeah. Big fan of Old Town. 
yeah, we tried to. Um, there, there's the there's that heritage leaning as well, which I I think they do very well. Um, uh, using yeah, we enough in, using that. enough inspiration, yeah. but not uh-huh. overdoing it. We lean further away, I think, from from any heritage reference. Do we? Do we? What do you think? about where we live. I was just about to ask you what you sort of style you would describe your your clothes as. Quiet. Uh, kind of when I when we started it, I said I just want it to feel empty. So I want it to feel that it doesn't impose itself on the wearer that they they can wear it and just feel like themselves Do you see what I mean so it's it's very inside is very empty so there's no overlocking um visible it's very quiet inside and it's very quiet outside so there's detailing but the detailing is um limited to what is um needed I'm not um, sure about how we describe what we do either. We get lost in descriptions. <laughs> and work, workwear mm. inspired. Yeah. What does that even mean? Um, so it's, it's it's like things like so although it's very empty. So there's a, so if you right there's a pair of chore trousers. There's nineteen. They're denim trousers. So I wouldn't call them jeans because they haven't got rivets in them. They haven't got a contrast stitch in them. Um, they're denim trousers. But I think like genie people buy them because we sell a lot of them in denim and it's because you know it's a it's it is a jean basically but it's like you've got patch pockets on the front which people have now started doing I've noticed patch pockets and um there's only one pocket on the back there's like a cinch back um we've just stopped doing a pay trouser that had a front pocket that ran into the back pocket um so there's all of these kind of um clever details that you don't actually notice until you've got it because we don't use contrasting stitching. And then in the um, new collection, we put in these ghost pockets. So there is one pocket on the, the menswear and the women's wear, which is a ghost pocket, i.e. it's inside. So there's only, there's only one pocket on the outside, or there's two pockets, but one up there, one down there, the third pocket is inside, and that is using a, a big contrast, like a mustard We've started stitch. with contrast stitching. So, um, it's just like, there's just quiet, it's very minimal, I think. It, yeah, it's minimal. It is a tricky one to describe. There's a, a lot of what, a lot of the, the, I suppose, the style, the nature of the clothes we're making, you would have got used to anyway, especially when the military were producing as much volume as they were for infantry, when there was so much army surplus about, um, when there's so much overproduction um, coming from America mainly, wasn't it? And um, uh, so the clothes that we make used to be mass-produced often quite badly. I mean, every um, indigo French chill jacket I've got has needed to be restitched at some point. They were made quick. That's why they were cheap, and that's why you were working in them. Um, so I suppose, in a way, we're 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 making the same type of clothes, but we're doing them in a way that can't, unfortunately, be at that price point. Um, uh, making clothes one at a time, carefully, I suppose. Um, same clothes 
ish, but nicer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose I would say that, but that's not much of a tagline, is it? Same clothes, but nicer. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to use that. Thing. You you said the other day you said change of clothes, and actually I really like that. I wrote that up on the board. I can't remember if you were kind of referencing it, but um, it's change of clothes, and I think it it's just yeah. Yeah, clothes that work was was one that I think somebody else had already used, but we quite liked it when we invented it, <laughs> and then we realised we hadn't invented it as mm-hmm. usual, um, but. Clothes at work. I, I like that. We we make clothes that you can actually move around in. Um, we we trial run everything. Um, we're quite physical, I suppose, quite manual labour people. Um, uh, I like clothes that hold together. I, don't we all? Um, it's not much of a style description. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking that if we say there's two types of people who wear clothes, where the first is the sort of type who wear them because they want to look uh, good, be noticed, perhaps be asked about their mm-hmm. clothes, and then you have a second group yeah. who just want to wear their clothes and get on with yeah. things. We're the second. We're the second. We're the second. You know, and I think um, without going on about it and kind of, I know we kind of do it time, but that like the kind of the education um, system at the moment is to create almost costume you know the way um certainly when i was teaching um there's lots of methods very very easy to create something that is flamboyant is asymmetrical is um mad is costume it's that's you could do that all day every day it's just so easy to design that stuff it's much more difficult to design and kind of wear something that isn't creating a character for you, that is quiet, you know, where you've only got, you've only, you're only allowed three pockets or you're only allowed, um, you're not allowed to use loads of weird decoration on your, your pockets. How many times, right, have you wanted to buy something and you've got, oh, why did they do that? If they'd like done that jacket, but without all of that crap or without that horrible button that would be the most beautiful jacket but they over design over decorate over 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 and it then it's intimidating to wear it so i'd i'd much prefer to design make and wear something that didn't um take over from me but made me feel better if you see what i mean i don't know it's a bit worthy but i think the most common thing they do wrong there is put a logo yeah. on it and it doesn't even have to be yeah. a big one yeah it's just the fact that you yeah. see it yeah. i always found with um uh, as fabrication as well i mean workwear is often often nasty there's often elastic where there shouldn't be there are poppers there are velcro there's things i don't want um like i really i, I love the carhartt overall i realize it's a it's a ubiquitous classic um uh, it's a it's a really good pair of trousers, but it's really quite heavy. What's that? Eleven ounce duck canvas, rivets heavy. all over the place, and double patched on the legs, triple patched where you've got a pocket. Um, it's just quite a lot going on. I prefer the ones we've made in the past, where, like you say, everything calms down. The fabrication is a bit more sensitive. It's a bit less rugged. 
but then I'm not doing that kind of work anymore. So <laughs> I don't need extra knee patches quite so often. It's not. Are they still are they still making the the quality workwear versions? Yeah, I'm just looking um, at um, my son likes these Dickies uh, work pants, yeah. but the quality no, of them down is rubbish. So bad. The Carhartt, I'm so not bad. sure. It's been a while. I mean, since we started, I haven't bought another pair. Actually, my last yeah. pair are probably eight nine years old. I guess. Um, I think they do still make them though. They're, but, those yeah, are but, the, the original Carhartt workwear brand, the diffusion range, the high street. Mm-hmm shops there all over the place but i think the i think the parent company still works doesn't it the the um stable jacket that that yard jacket that everyone likes so much mm. um no they're very good they are really good you love them i do i might start wearing them. but yours are better so, well we don't have a comparable garment actually we you did start making overalls we 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 um dismantled and and filtered and reconstructed um, overalls with the inner, the overlap on the inner lapel, uh, on the, the front They're facing. Um, multiple pockets. There were, what's it, 38 pieces? Yeah. They were exhausting. They yeah. take like three days to make one pair of overalls. Well, it, it yeah, could not have like been further stuff. away from... And um, there was two or three customers that loved them. We got one lady who bought three pairs... And, no, so and she's, like, she's on the telly, basically. Oh, and she, um, so she bought two pairs for a show that had to be identical. And then she's got another three pairs that aren't that, those two pairs that were for that show. But, um, yeah, so like, it's like if you budget. find your garment, yeah. and then it's got exactly the same with a woman who yeah. does the yard shirt every single season, she's got it in a different, at least one. Different, um, the overall, I mean, I was picking on the overall because yeah. it's the workwear garment, really, but it's sort of out of our reach at the moment. It's too involved. You can't, the amount of money we have to charge for such a yeah. thing is, it's too much now. Yeah. It's a hugely expensive coverall, which is, his only job is I, to keep your yeah. trousers clean. I think people would buy it well, they did buy it. So we used to, we used to sell it. It was three hundred and fifty quid. People bought it, but the time it takes to make that garment and cut that garment is too long. If you think you know what else you could do and make more than three hundred and fifty quid, it didn't make sense to um, do that that garment, which is why we dropped it largely because it was just it's too long. it showed the edges of what you can do by hand making work workwear. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great garment for mass production. It needs to be made in a factory. It needs many hands doing individual bits of that garment. The construction's too it's too involved. Um, you have to make them all the time, or not at all. I think. Um, Is there a, a point maybe in explaining to people how long it takes to make something? We wondered because I mean, when I hear three hundred and fifty pounds. Including that, and it took you three days to make it. There's no, yeah. and that includes the fabric <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. I'm thinking, you're not making any wow. money. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 <laughs> There's no money. Yeah, why would that? probably it? making a loss in that. Yeah, um, I think there is some value to to be had from people realizing that things are being made. We we do still have to point it out occasionally when often late at night 
somebody tries to make an order um, and they've obviously sort of not read that bit about how we're going to make it once you order it. Mm. Um, but I think most people get the idea. I don't think we need to make too much, do we? Do we need to make more of a point of it? You got the idea. You, you understand fairly quickly, didn't you? That you, you got it? Well, I'm sort of kind of an mm. industry insider <laughs> at this mm. point. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I mean, the, the making of a personal garment, which for me starts with the fact that making it to my actual size mm. because standard sizing just doesn't mm. really fit because I'm too mm. short, I'm too heavy. So the arms will be too yeah. long. So getting something that's actually made for me that fits my body is a huge step mm. forward. If I can then select a fabric I really like and I know that it's made by Ben and mm. Becker and it's taken them at least a day to make this. That all makes me appreciate yeah. it that much more. Yeah. I think that's why we don't get returns, actually, because I think, yeah, I think that's why we don't get just it's returns isn't a thing, because I think people do see it. I think, yeah, I, yeah, you're probably right, actually, we could make, we could make um, more of it. Like, the idea that you've got a pile of something sitting in the corner of the shop or st- or storage facility and that they've appeared out of nowhere i think that's the bit that's settled into everyone's thinking that that must be what it is can i have the medium and the large i'll send one of them back that's that's the norm and um uh so i guess making more of the production method we have tried it we tried an overhead camera for a while we did an online sale a few years ago it was really good Actually, it was it was when we couldn't get anywhere, and we were trying to be a bit more online. Um, do you remember the overhead camera? We kept promising ourselves we were going to remember to film the next time you were cutting something out uh, in a picturesque way or something. And we just you've no time to yeah. there, there's no time in the day to be stopping and starting and and right. shooting too much. We have to kind of we do do it every now and again. Like we do shoot. like these. Things and then we put all the clips together and have um, April in Peyoten or whatever, and then it's just like all But yeah, most of the time we get to the end of the day, go, oh, we were meant to do that, but it's just, yeah, it's just very busy, which is good, better busy than quiet. Well, it is, yeah. No, there's there's an awful lot needs doing, pretty much all the time. I see we've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes now. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it's about time cool. to sort of gently wind down. Is there anything we haven't covered? Anything that you would like to mention? I don't think so. I don't no. think so. We are looking, we are actively looking for um, places to go on tour. pop-up yeah. and um, sustainable fairs. We don't know anything about what we're talking about there at all. We've just yeah. decided that we're pop-bound. Yeah. And um, it's no wonder, really, we haven't left the studio yeah. for years now. And um, <laughs> we've sort, sort of forgotten what the island looks like a bit. Um, but one of our kids is in Newcastle at the moment, so we have reason to go up and down a little bit. We're going to stop and have a better look at some obvious places. I would, I mean, you can't avoid Leicester um, as the as the, the, the centre of the British garment industry, really, isn't it? So anyway, yes, that's, yeah. that's the thing I'd like to say. Anyone got any bright ideas about 
places to appear. Let's meet up. Um, uh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, the Froom Market. Do you know what? Froom came up big Froom on our like, canvas. On when we did that thing on Instagram and asked mm. where people where we should go, Froom was the number one place. Mm. Um, and, and we were actually going to a wedding well, in um, uh, Bristol in a few. A few so we're going places. to stop in Froom yeah. and have a look. Yeah, yeah we might. Yeah. So, yeah. so I missed it. Yeah. No, 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 we'd wonder about that. And, and, but there, there are some usual candidates, um, and and good. And we should. We've got to just make a bit more of an effort. It's been very easy to get quite lazy with it. We sit in a particularly nice bit of the Kent countryside, and we've got an awful lot to do. So we we just keep doing it, and got very bad at going places. Um, that's what we're going to do. Go places. Have a look. <laughs> Sounds like a, a sound plan. Uh, anything you wanted to ask that you didn't? Anything, anything <laughs> no, you I think know? I'm. I think I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I did have something I was going to say about five pocket jeans, but uh, uh, it sort yeah. of completely, um, completely left my mind. So thanks a lot for uh, for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. We loved it. Thank you. And um, bye-bye for now. See you in Froome. Okay. (laughs) Take care. Goodbye. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>